Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Effective Teaching Podcast today. We're doing episode 50. I'm really excited about this today. It's been such a great journey to go through this. It's pretty much taken me a year to create these 50 episodes for you, and I have loved the whole process. And so today, I want to give back to you. So we're going to be giving away a prize at the end. We're going to give away a teacher's PD membership that is valued at $330. Gives you 12 months of access to all of my online professional development, which is you know, over 50 hours worth. And if you're in New South Wales, that's all NESA accredited. And I'm going to be giving that away at the end of this video. Now, can I just check really quickly that you guys can hear me? So give me a thumbs up in the comments just to let me know that you can hear this, that the sound is working, and I didn't just give that big blurb to no one and that my sound is working for me. Now, as we go throughout this episode, I would really love it if you could please make sure that you uh, make comments, that you share things as we go. If you've done any kind of integration of the curriculum, I would love to hear from you. Today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about essentially uh, a book that I've been reading and it's got, it talks about these three different approaches to uh, this cross-disciplinary approach to education. So the book is called Transforming Schools. It's by Miranda Jefferson and Michael Anderson. And it talks about three approaches. The first one is a multidisciplinary approach, which is basically just an approach with a common theme to go with it. The next is a interdisciplinary approach. So interdisciplinary approach is about organizing the curriculum around common learnings. And so you're basically pulling out the outcomes and stuff and chunking them together for multiple subjects. Uh, and then you build everything around the curriculum. And then the third one, which is transdisciplinary, is all about basically putting the student at the center and organizing the curriculum around them and their questions that they have. All right, so as we go, I want you to share, I want you to comment. This is a chance to you know, really engage with what we're doing here today as well. So please do comment. I'm, I'm so excited to see you guys here already. And thank you, you know, Danielle, Amy, Katie, for putting uh, those comments in there so I know that the sound is working and that the lagging has now caught up, which is great. So when we come to the common theme approach, I did this a while ago with one of my friends who uh, homeschools their children with me. Now, you may not know that I homeschool my son, so he's in his very early years of education. And he got really into dinosaurs and dragons and our whole little group of friends who meet up all also were, yeah, they were really into dragons. And so me and this other parent decided that we would develop a term worth of learning that was really centered around dragons for our kids. And so we looked into you know, dragons in terms of historical stuff, linking them possibly with dinosaurs and lizards and with birds, because we did an excursion down to Canberra to the Dinosaur Museum, and they talked about how dinosaurs are actually really closely related to birds. And so we then talked about that and examined that with the kids. We looked at the students did this thing where they looked at dragons in their own cultures, in their backgrounds, and we had such a variety of cultures that they kind of did this as a research project. They went away and researched their own cultural dragons and then came back and would share it with all of the kids 
Uh, they would go into little groups and talk about what they'd found and share things. They'd show each other pictures, read stories, all kinds of stuff. We looked at modern dragons, so Komodo dragons, flying lizards. We looked at dragons in plants, so we talked about snapdragons. We looked at dragon fruit with the with our kids, uh, and we also, you know, we explored other fun activities such as dragon boating, knights and dragons, and that kind of stuff. And the kids really uh, engaged with this really well. They they really enjoyed it, and we linked this through the way that we did this. Me and the other teacher, so uh, the other parent was was Jane, and I know she actually listens to this uh, podcast frequently. So a shout out to Jane, my fantastic friend, who is a co-owner of my goats, and also who is a fellow homeschooler and a fantastic uh, mother and teacher of her children. And so we sat down together to plan out this unit. And what we did is we came up with a theme of dragons because all of our children were really interested in it, and then. We planned a showcase, so the students, our kids, and other parents' kids. So there was a group of about, I think about 30 kids in the end who ended up doing this. It was kind of like an actual classroom in terms of the size of it. And we all had these kids doing this project throughout where they were doing some research and they were going to showcase this at the end. Throughout the learning, we did videos of the kids talking to each other and sharing things and learning. Uh, but what we did, we, we sat down to start with looking at the outcomes of what, the student, what our kids needed to learn. And we then tried to link it in with themes. And so when I talked about developing our children's writing, we then had them do writing around dragons. When I talked about their reading, we had them reading books about dragons. We had them doing research about dragons. We had them uh, looking at flora and fauna that related to dragons. We had them looking at the history and their own cultural backgrounds with dragons. And so it really connected in with a lot of those early years, you know, this is uh, early stage one to stage one type learning that we were looking at the outcomes for. And the kids really loved it. I mean, we even went down to um, Emerald Dragon in Penrith, which is a, a kung fu place. And we went down there and they ran us through a kung fu lesson with the kids. So they got physical activity. We were really hitting across a number of different subject areas, uh, but focusing at all using this uh, common theme of dragon. And so that's essentially how we planned it. We just kind of looked at the outcomes. We had this theme. We went, okay, we're going to use this theme when we're addressing each of these outcomes. So I want to know from you in the comments, have you ever done something like this before? If so, maybe give us a little bit of information about it. And if you were to do this, if you've never done it before, uh, what theme would you pick and what year group would you do it with? So uh, make a comment in the comments so that I can see what you're thinking in there. So what theme or grade level would you want to do this with? What, what theme would you pick? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Merle. Oh, I can't believe it's our 50th episode either. Thank you so much. Uh, Danielle, you say, so you've done this uh, when working in middle school in New Zealand. So uh, you were looking at space. That's fantastic. So you can easily pull upon space and students keen interest in space to then integrate lots of different things. They could be writing about space, reading about space, researching space, uh, and, you know, they could even have some experts talk to them about space, all kinds of stuff. That's fantastic. Uh, sounds like a lot of story path pedagogy that I like to use uh, to, to integrate. Is that meant to say, Chris? That's, that's great. Yes. Look, story path pedagogy, um, it's really about just picking that theme that is going through everything else that the students are learning. And I find I found 
you know, definitely for my son and for the kids who were involved in that process, they really enjoyed it. I have done it as well in uh, schools, but it was really great. Uh, Merely, I tried to connect our courses in connections with other key learning areas. It can be done with any content. Uh, yeah, definitely. We can definitely do it with any content. You're essentially are picking the theme and you want to make sure you pick one that the kids are going to be interested in. You know, we all, what happened was that me and Jane, the other parent, we actually identified that our kids were already really into it. Whenever we met together at the park, the kids were playing dragon games out in the park and stuff. And so we just went, well, let's capitalise on this to motivate them and engage them better in, in their learning. Uh, so Priya says she'd do it with year two. That's great. Uh, yeah. uh, Lauren, what have, you, what have you got here for me? We are looking at doing a stage four PDHP art history in term four, uh, along with Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people and doing a historical art paintings. Wow, that, this is, that's fantastic, Lauren. That sounds really good. Uh, stage three at our school, Sharon, is doing space as the theme this semester. Wonderful. Uh, Jenny Hatt says our school did a personal learning project on students' own interests. And I think that's fantastic. And that actually, uh, Jenny, that, that's probably going to come up more in our third type of approach, that transdisciplinary approach, where you actually are centering it on students and their interests and their goals and developing the curriculum around that, uh, as opposed to it just being a theme that goes throughout. So you're actually taking it even further than, than that. Uh, Danielle says that she really enjoys this kind of approach. Uh, uh, you do lessons in high school owing to the nature of high school. So that, that's great. Uh, so, Amy, you've never done it. Uh, you teach seniors. It would be great to do with PDH and bio, for sure. Doing that uh, across those two, I think, would, be, would work really well. Uh, and it is, I think it is better for juniors. You can do it in seniors. And, in fact, some of the examples I'm going to give you as we continue to go is about how we do this with our seniors at my school. So I'm going to keep going. I am seeing more comments coming in there. This is fantastic, but I, I do want to make sure... I don't take up your entire night. <laughs> so the next approach is the interdisciplinary approach. And I think the interdisciplinary approach is probably the one that we do most often. I think it's definitely the one that really is the one that teachers find more focused on what they normally do. So you're, mostly because you're starting with the curriculum. You're really going to start with the outcomes of the curriculum the dot points, the dash points, uh, all the stuff that your syllabus tells you you've got to cover, that's where you're going to be starting with the development of this interdisciplinary approach. But what you're looking for is that common learning. So what outcomes are very similar in PBH compared to biology and how can you bring that together or what outcomes are similar in history and uh, geography that you might be able to bring together or between history and English or between, you know, TAS, science and maybe the arts or something. So there's lots of things where you can do this, where you're looking for common learnings or outcomes that are similar and relate that you're then going to uh, develop the whole program around. Now, this is really the main thing that I do and that my school does at Cedar College. What we do is we went through and I found in our first year when we were first getting used to the new approach of CEDA, one of the things that really hit me and the other main core teacher was that there was a lot of repetition in what we did because the students were doing a lot of vet units as well as doing PDH and we're just a senior college and we're a bit unique in what we do. But we found that you know, we were doing WHS three times with the students and so we decided that instead of doing that, what we were going to do is we're going to bring all the units together 
And so we brought units from business services and from sport and rec together to create an induction unit to start with for our students. And in the induction unit, what we do is basically induct our students into the college, much like we would a teacher. And so they go through our policies, our handbooks, they go through and they learn about how we do WHS meetings and inspections. They do risk assessments for clinics that they're going to run. They go through a whole process, including you know setting up basic things like an email signature uh, because they have to go and organize their own work placement. We also have them do draft emails and then actually send out real emails to try and get those work placements. And it really worked so well when we brought it together compared to what it used to be like. Uh, but it was all about bringing those outcomes together. The way we did it was that we just sat down, me and the other teacher to start with, it's, it's since grown from, uh, from there. But when we first started, it was just, we sat down and we looked at all the different things, the competencies, the outcomes, uh, the learning goals that we had for our students. And we brought all the ones that were really similar together. We clustered them so that we could clearly show that they related to each other. And then we brought that into a real world kind of application. So we had the, that induction process, but we also, for our coaching, for example, they, they get coaching qualifications, they go and deliver clinics, and they're learning how to actually program training uh, within that as well. So it links in a bit with PDH. There's all kinds of stuff in there that just is fantastic for our students. Now, we have the benefit at my school that we are a one teacher to one classroom model for U11 and 12. And so the one teacher teaches everything except for English pretty much and that enables us to really build this in a lot easier in what we're doing because it doesn't have to require multiple teachers coming together. However, I do think that it becomes more rich and uh, deeper when we do see multiple teachers that come together to create these types of units. So let me know in the comments here who you have maybe done this with before or if you were going to do this approach who would you do it with? Uh, if, if, if you have them as a friend on Facebook, maybe even tag them, uh, have this as a bit of a stimulus, maybe they'll come and listen to the recording of this if they can't get here live. And you could then chat to them tomorrow at school about this idea of doing an interdisciplinary approach where you're going to be looking at the outcomes of both subjects and trying to work out a way of bringing them together to create a really nice unit that's got the curriculum at the centre, but enabling that overlap to see students' skills, you know, and it can even be skills. If you're doing something that's literacy skill-based, you could quite easily do that with English and history and, um, and PDH and stuff. You could quite easily do that to have them actually do lots of reading and writing around what they're learning and you're developing that skill across. So uh, let's have a look down here in the comments. So I have here, uh, Alice says, Across the new New South Wales syllabus, there is an abundance of connected ideas across all KLAs, K to six, uh, at least. And that allows for rich, authentic inquiry-based learning driven by student wonderings by the syllabus as a base. Well, wow, Alice, that just that speaks to my heart with your comment there. I absolutely love it. Uh, and I, I, I must agree, particularly the way that they've reinvented a lot of these uh, new syllabus that they've created over the last probably 10 years now that, that um, they've been updating them. I think they really have purposely looked to create that, particularly to help you to be able to do that cross curriculum. And I actually think it still exists in secondary, but it's harder for secondary teachers to see it because they focus so much on their own 
uh, curriculum, they don't actually go to look at other curriculums. Whereas if they had some time to sit down and plan it, they would actually see a lot of the outcomes and stuff overlap a bit. Uh, Merley says that math science and PDHPE is quite easily done. Great, uh, perhaps starting in year seven and expand to other years. I would agree, I would start with one year to, to get this going. Uh, Chris says we worked as an early stage one team collaboratively to, to develop an integrated English math science Kappa geography unit. Wow, that must have been uh, quite an epic process, Chris, to bring that together so many subjects. I would love to, to see what you did there. Uh, doing marine studies and first aid stuff, that, that's cool. Uh, Lisa, you've got K to six. Uh, you have collaborated with a stage buddy in seven to 12. You've collaborated with self-nominated staff from various faculties. This is fantastic stuff that you guys are doing. Uh, Carolyn, as a drama and English teacher, you find it interesting to be able to use both in developing that skill with the integration of the reinvention of the English syllabus. I feel that this will perhaps cause problems at first, but will end up being valuable. Yeah, I, I can't say a lot about the redeveloping of the English syllabus, but hopefully they still enable that uh, you know, nice bringing together of different subject areas so that you can really focus in and help the students to improve in all the things that they need to do here. Yeah, time is definitely an issue, but I think if you can start the conversation at this point, and then particularly if you're in, in Australia and you know you've got two terms left of school to really start thinking about it and processing it to start planning it before next year, I think that actually gives you quite a lot of time to go through this process, uh, even if you're doing it slowly bit by bit. Uh, all right, so that's fantastic comments, guys. I really am loving that you guys are in here and chatting and sharing stuff. This is this is beautiful. It's exactly what I want to see. Now, the next way to do this integration of curriculum is the transdisciplinary approach. Now, this approach is the one that focuses in on the student at the center, and then you basically are using the student and their goals, what they want to do, and then you're looking to include the curriculum into that. So rather than it being, curriculum and then the student, or rather than it being you know, a theme they're interested in and they're using that theme for motivation, you're actually looking at the student's own goals for their own learning and how that works. So a simple example that I'm gonna give you is with my son again. So my son was really keen to learn how to bake recently. He'd been watching Zumbo and he got really into it. And so he's like, I wanna I want bake, I wanna bake. And so we used that goal to then help him to develop a whole bunch of things. So we went through this process. He wanted to uh, bake those cookie things. I can't remember what they're called, but you know, the bright colored cookies. Uh, and then he also wanted to, um, I'm sure someone can tell me what they are in the comments. Uh, but, you know, they're pink, they're green, they're blue. Um, and he wanted to make one of those. And so he spent some time working that out with my wife, trial and error type stuff. They did some research. To, they watched some YouTube videos around how to make them. They then found recipes and they talked about it and they went through that process. And then I got to the other day sit down with him and also bake some chocolate chip cookies. And just, oh, yeah, macaroons. Thank you, Callan. I knew someone would be able to give that to me. Um, so what ended up happening when he was baking the cookies with me, so I missed the whole cooking process with my wife, but the one that he did with me uh, I made him really work on his reading. I actually already had a recipe that I had written down. And so I made him go through the, and read the recipe with me. Now, he's you know, an early years uh, child, so he's still developing his reading. And he's actually he's come a long way over the last 
kind of three months. He's really skyrocketed. So he then was reading my own handwriting, which is quite messy, and working things out and trying to work out exactly what letters and, you know, there was probably a letter or two missing in some of the words because it's, you know, it's the way you write in reality. Uh, and then so he was going through that process of reading uh, he also got everything out and had to match things up. So as he was reading it, I said, okay, so we need a, a half a cup, we need a third of a cup, we need a quarter of a cup. And he went and found those instruments for the cooking process. And then we went through a thing where I actually talked to him and taught him about what a third is and what a half was and how, you know, it's two equal parts of a whole. And therefore, we actually had a, a point, because we didn't have a whole cup to use as a measuring um, uh, device in the in what we were cooking we had to get uh, a cup and a quarter of flour into the cookies and so we only had half cups and we had a quarter cup and so I said to her okay what do we need to actually make this you know one and a half cup one and a quarter cups and so he worked out okay well if a half is two equal parts then if I have two halves that's a whole so that's one cup and then I need the other quarter as well and so he was learning some maths there he was learning developing his reading in within that as well and then even beyond that, we talked a lot about the texture. So we talked about how, because uh, we had you know, melted coconut oil trying to mix in with sugar and stuff. And so that actually requires a fair bit of, of whipping for that to happen. And so we talked about how things were separated, why they were separated, how they come together, the aeration process. We talked about why we use bicarb, uh, why we use baking powder for the things to rise as they're in the oven, how things actually change in terms of their chemical properties and stuff. And we've turned this liquid into a um, into cookies, and that whole process was based on his goals. But he learned so much from science, from maths. He developed his reading, uh, and we all had this beautiful conversation around food. And obviously, he's also learning how to cook in that whole process as well. You know, he turned on the oven to 180 degrees. He set the timer, all kinds of stuff. Where he had to count, he had to press buttons, and that process was on his goals. And we really built the learning around that. And we, we did that kind of a bit on the fly. But when we do that as teachers in our classrooms, obviously that I've, I've seen this done on the fly in classrooms where, you know, students show an interest in something and the teacher goes, oh, great, let's follow that. And then they kind of link things in. But I feel like we can do this more planned as well with our students. Now, I particularly see this. I, I recently read a bunch of books by Trevor McKenzie about uh, dive into inquiry and the inquiry mindset. And one of the things he talks about is how inquiry-based learning, if you scaffold it really well, you can actually basically develop your students and wean them off so that they actually can do a what's called a free inquiry-based uh, approach where they actually go about the, the process of creating the inquiry-based unit and they're using their goals and stuff, but you're helping them to link in a lot of the outcomes that, that you want them to still be learning and the content that they still need to learn into their goals and the things that they want to do. And I think that's fantastic. I think if we can do, I, I don't think that we could do it at the beginning when we first get students because you really, <laughs> just kicked my camera there. Uh, we really need to make sure we know our students for that to happen. Uh, but I think you know, using an inquiry-based process and you know, he uses understanding by designs kind of scaffolds, which I love. They're really good for designing this kind of learning. I think that if we use that, we can really create fantastic things for our students. And, you know, uh, someone mentioned earlier, I've forgotten uh, the name, but they mentioned that they do a similar kind of free-based inquiry thing where the students for at least part of the term have to create their own project and go about all this learning 
which actually is not hard to then back map into the curriculum and the things that you, the students actually need to learn in terms of outcomes or if you're from America, the standards and stuff like that. So what I want to hear from you now, so I can see that there's a few more comments that have come up uh, and it's definitely much harder to go through and do this uh, transdisciplinary approach at schools, but I do think that it's worth the effort and I do think that it, it can be done. So what I would like is for you to tell me what would you need to be able to do this. Now, obviously, time is the easy one, but if you could build the curriculum of learning around your students, what would you need to do that? So uh, let me know in the comments, just put in, you know, I would need, and then and then tell me what, what you need to be able to, to think about doing a transdisciplinary approach to the education with your, with your students. All right, so Kelly, you're up. Many of our older grades uh, give the students an opportunity to participate in Genius Hour. Yeah, that, uh, Genius Hour is a great thing. I think that kind of comes out of uh, a big push from Google, I think, actually. I, I, that's where I know it from, at least, um, uh, because Google, I know with their employers, they actually give their employers one day a week that is devoted to 10% of, uh, well, more than 10%, I think it's 20% of their work time is devoted to them coming up with their own um, projects. And so, that's how we actually got the Google Cardboards, for example, that came out of a, a project. And I'm pretty sure Google Maps may have even been uh, on Google Earth or one of those two was one of those kinds of projects as well. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely a great thing where students just get to do something of their own interest and you can then see and map, back, map, back, map that. <laughs> uh, all right, Carolyn says, I would need an understanding of each syllabus that I wanted to integrate. Definitely, and it, although if you're doing this with other teachers, uh, they bring in those expertise as well and then you actually are bouncing off each other to, to help create that. Uh, Lisa, access to experts and a bigger budget to buy resources. Uh, yep, definitely. Uh, Merle, uh, know the students extremely well and have staff on board. Yeah, I think it's very interesting I find yeah, you have your, your teachers who you have the teacher who are really passionate and want to give that a go and then you have others who are like, no, no, we, I want to just stick with what I've got and it's often hard to get that buy-in from our, from our staff. Uh, model how to explore questions from an interdisciplinary perspective. Well, I'm struggling with my words tonight. Uh, I have found I have done personal interest projects in the past, Danielle. Uh, I would need to find space in the curriculum we have. Uh, we have space so I could possibly identify a unit. Yes, and definitely we need we need space to do it. But if the, one one of the goals I think with it is also to be able to back map, and so you actually are. A, achieving things so you're not losing as much time necessarily as you might. Um, all right, lots of stuff here. Teacher clarity of content and students uh, is key. Do I find it easier for primary than secondary, Lauren? Oh, look, I think what actually makes it easier is that it's one core teacher in primary. So I know for us in, at my school in, at Cedar College, we, with our one teacher to one classroom model, found it a lot easier to create it because we were across all of the syllabus and across all the uh, training guides and stuff for the vet stuff and enabled us to really do that really well. So I think that in one sense it's, it is easier because it's uh, one teacher who's across all of it, but in the, I think you also lose something by not having all the extra teachers and their extra expertise and depth of knowledge and their other approaches and you know learning ideas and strategies that they have as well. I think the collaboration that can come really can make it fantastic as well. Um, what else have we got here? I agree with Alice, definitely, yep. Uh, Lisa, I think primary is easier as a K-6 teacher as we are expected to know all the syllabi. Yeah, that's, that's 
basically what I was just saying. Uh, linking in metacognitive routines to support the development of thinking about thinking processes. Definitely, Alice, I love building that in. It's one of the core things to what I encourage my staff to do is to actually help the, teach, the students to reflect on their learning so that they're actually learning how to learn because you know, that's actually what this whole podcast is about, is about how to help students to become lifelong learners. And I think this integrated approach, whichever one you kind of pick, helps the students do that because they help them to see that a skill in one particular subject is not isolated. It actually can apply to other subjects as well. Well, this has been fantastic. So uh, did you guys have any questions for me as we uh, begin to wrap things up? I think you know, this week, if you're gonna try and put anything into practice, I would suggest that you find a teacher, tag them, get them to listen to this, do a bit of research together, and maybe start the process of thinking about doing a interdisciplinary or a transdisciplinary, or even just a theme-based uh, approach to your learning. I think that's, that's a good place to start this week if you haven't done it before. Uh, I am gonna jump from here into the uh, Effective Teaching Podcast Facebook community. So if you're not part of that, feel free to come and join there. I'll give you access and we can continue to chat further. In there, I might, I'll create a post for just uh, some Q&A if you guys want to continue to talk about this. What I will do now, though, is I do want to draw a winner to see who is going to get the $330 worth of value to come and join the Teachers PD membership. Now, if you are already a Teachers PD member and you get drawn, just let me know. That way I can pull you out of that, basically. Right, 57 comments and then I click this and we'll see who is our random winner. Woo. Well done Alice, you are our winner today. So I will uh, send you, if you can DM me actually, if you send me your email address, I will then add you in as a Teachers PD member and give you access to more than 50 hours of professional development as well as monthly webinars and as uh, much learning really as hopefully you can consume in 12 months. I'm gonna finish up this live stream and head over into the group. So congratulations again, Alice. Really excited that you are gonna come and join us.